Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is, is a Soul Fire Fire production. production. Hi, you're in your car. I live in my car now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you have Wi-Fi issues. I understand that completely. Yeah, last week we were uh, having a hard time. So um, I think that I just decided to park in front of the local Starbucks and see how it goes. Well, you look great. You got a Thanks. sunroof. I do. I do and I've got sunroof. my uh, Born Simply at Home t-shirt on. I want to thank clients Juliet and Andres for that from years ago. Nice. Still nice. fits. So that's good. <laughs> that is good. Guess what I'm eating? Um, I can't see it. Oh, you can't? Uh-uh. I'm, I'm eating Listeria free cheese. Oh, <laughs> very good. I love as a, it. As a preemptive for our topic today, which is going to be eventually we get to it. Um, Foods to eat in pregnancy, foods not to eat in pregnancy, and is the data really accurate? That sort of thing, kind of thing that yeah. you and I like to dive into. Yeah. Common myths, ways that we scare pregnant people. Oh, we got a lot of them. Boy, do I have some notes on that. Great. <laughs> you know me. Great. Great. So, so um, how was your week? I was a good week. Um, I watched the Super Bowl with my boys. I watched the first half with some friends, and then I didn't care to see the halftime show anyway. So I drove from there to my uh, ex's house where we actually, she was there with like six guys and me, seven guys. So we sat and watched the uh, the Super Bowl and all, all of them there were Rams fans. So that was exciting to see my son and his friends, my sons and their friends, um, uh, their team win. Cause I know what that's like. I mean, I'm not a Rams fan. So, and, and I'm not a Bengals fan, so I didn't really care, but yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Um, I'm not watching any Olympics, sadly, for the first time in my life, I think. Me neither. Yeah. Why aren't you watching? I mean, you're probably just not interested, right? I don't have, I don't have like that kind of TV where I could watch that. So yeah. Just yeah. It's on, not... basic, it's on basic NBC, but it, I, I'm not interested. It's taking place at odd hours. It's in China, which I'm not a big fan of. And, um, um, and even though I'm a huge hockey fan, and, and as of our uh, publication today, the U.S. hockey team has been doing really well, I I just can't bring myself to to watch the propaganda and stuff that's coming out of uh, NBC and you know China is such a great place and and you know the just I can't I can't handle it anymore. So I'm just I chose wisely. Yeah, you chose to to uh, protect your getting all revved up about something so you decided not to yeah, watch it but it's good. sad because it's just another thing that's sort of been spoiled for me or i'm letting it i'm letting it be spoiled by uh, for me mm-hmm. by, by politics or by um differencing different op- opinions you yeah. know seeing again all the athletes not wearing masks all the arenas either empty or everyone wearing a mask i mean it's just it's just i can't I can't handle it. No, I'm not even going to get into the Super Bowl hypocrisy because it, that's old news by the time this podcast comes out. Good. Let's not. Yeah, I have a couple corrections from last week's podcast, or at least one from me. I said that flying from Santa Monica to Santa Barbara was 210 degrees. That's incorrect. 210 degrees is the runway at Santa Monica. It's 270 degrees or due west. So if we have any pilots or geographic uh, experts on thing, I just want to make sure I got that correct. <laughs> and then um we got the name of uh i think you corrected it but i we got the name of uh dr or david lynch uh, i don't was he a doctor is he a doctor dr ben lynch is his name and i said david lynch so that and that's why i made the reference to Eraserhead, the director guy but uh that so that was wrong too just want to correct those <laughs> accuracy matters yes we do our very best here um, one other thing for me, um, I got my UCLA, UCLA mailer this morning on my email mm-hmm. and there wasn't a single story on COVID. Imagine that. Maybe, maybe times are changing. Maybe it's over. No, I don't think so. But 
They did have an article on the increasing interest in plastic surgery because of Zoom. Because <laughs> people, people are staring at their face all day long. And they talked about like eye wrinkles and, you know, smile wrinkles, that sort of thing. People getting injected more Botox um, because of Zoom. <laughs> Jeez Louise. So how was your week? Um, my week was great. Last night um, was very weird weather here. It's been almost like, it's been like 85 degrees where I am in Ojai. So it's been very hot. Um, and yesterday, I, I, like a, a storm blew through. It was really cold, um, <clears throat> super windy. So there was a, um, a little social event that we were supposed to have outside uh, to meet some doulas, local doulas here, a networking event. And it was I went for an hour or so, but it was just so cold yeah. to sit outside. And, you know, I was like, I'm just going to go get cozy. Um, so I didn't get to really meet a lot of the people that I was hoping to meet. But um, my weekend is my workshops coming up this weekend. So I'm doing a lot of preparing for that. I'm very excited. We have 11 amazing professionals coming to join us for the entire weekend. So that's going to be magical. Um, and I would say the only, you know, me, I like to be positive. Um, but I do have a complaint about the space that I'm at, which is I am getting eaten alive by mosquitoes. <laughs> I mean, even in, even in hope I'm at night, I'm like, yeah. So that's my only thing is, uh, I don't know what you do about how, about that. They say that you get used to it, like your body acclimates to it and you build up immunity, but woo. Yeah, you know, I mean, I grew up in Minnesota where, you know, when the sun went down, we would die for cover. But, but um, you know, in California, we, we don't have that very often. I think there's probably some standing water and stuff from all the rains we had earlier. And there's, a, you know, a, a bloom of mosquitoes. And then when it gets really dry, they'll, they'll disappear, I hope. Yeah, uh, well, I'm next to a lake. I'm parked next to a lake. Oh, so that's, well, that's not going to disappear. That's probably why. But anyways, that's my only little complaint about this absolutely epically gorgeous spot that I am. Yeah, you know, there's there's certain candles with certain um, essences in it that you can burn. They're not yeah. and they're not toxic. Yeah, it's not working. I've tried all the things. Oh, well. um, they're relentless. Um, so I'm still waiting. I'm, I'm on call for a birth. Um, she turned uh 40 weeks on Valentine's Day. So um, I'll be having a baby in the next couple of weeks here. So I'm very excited about that. And I think last week I talked to you, or I mentioned that I had somebody with ruptured membranes. I'm not sure that that came up or not, but um, I want to tell her story a little bit because Great. it's an interesting story. So um, baby Matea finally came uh, over 110 hours after mom broke her water. So wow. almost five days, I guess it's close to five days. Close to uh, the twins that we had that time, huh? Yeah, the six days. Yeah. With, uh, and they were only 36 weeks and, yeah. you know, and they lived out in, the, I don't know, Pomona area or something. We had to drive out there every day to check on them. Or, and she was a nurse, uh, well-informed. And I think, yeah. she, I think she was, a, I don't know if she was a labor nurse, but she did not want to go to the hospital. <laughs> yeah. 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 So tell us about Matea's mom. Well, um, she mom kept having as the days went on, mom kept having contractions in the evening at night that would pick up, keep her awake and then disappear in the morning. She never really had significant bloody show or anything like that. She passed a mucus plug, um, but she continued to leak all the time. She GBS was negative, so we didn't do anything. We just kept waiting. I had her come into the office one time. Um, after 24 hours or so, we did a biophysical profile, which was fine. And then I went to her house on the third or third or fourth day of ruptured membranes with Beth just to check her out and stuff like that. And Beth finally did a vaginal exam because we were trying to figure out what we do. We hadn't done a single one, but she really wanted to know what was that. And she was only one to two centimeters because she had been contracting most of the night. And then the, the sun came up again and disappeared. So she was only one to two centimeters and 60% of face, but she was like plus one station. So that was good. So we waited another night and the next morning, same thing sort of happened and the same thing sort of disappeared. She was exhausted. She hadn't slept in four, like four nights very well. Yeah. And she yeah. was exhausted. So she decided she wanted to go in 
And we made a decision prior to that. We were gonna, we tried breast pumping the night before, but we didn't really want to do any sort of invasive thing like castor oil or um, a Foley balloon or that sort of thing. I just, I wasn't comfortable with doing those things in a primate. I just really wasn't. And, you know, in multips, I've, I've had success with them, but in primates, we just haven't had success and I really want, didn't want to push it that much and neither did they. So people ask the question, well, why didn't you try this or why? We didn't. We just we wanted to let nature take its course. We wanted to do the bliss young method of traditional birthing and leave things alone and see what happened. But she finally got really exhausted. So we had a because we and because we had a really good option, which was Dr. Crane at Cedars. Uh, so I called him and he was gracious and she went in that morning um, on, I think, the fifth day after ruptured membranes and got an epidural, which is what she wanted because she was uncomfortable and her contractions weren't that frequent, but they were bothering her and she was just exhausted. And they started PIT sort of right away. They didn't do an vag exam or anything. Paul didn't, Paul didn't do a vag exam. They started PIT and about 12 hours later, she had a vaginal birth, which was great. Right. And um, baby weighed a little over seven and a half pounds, I think 712 or something like that. Never got antibiotics, never got a fever, never had fetal tachycardia, never had anything. So yeah. even I'm sure that there were some people in the labor and delivery unit there chomping at the bit about being ruptured and some pediatric people, maybe from the Pete's department that were chomping at the bit about her not getting antibiotics. But um, maybe their things are changing there a little bit because everything was fine. And, um, you know, they went skin to skin, they went to the recovery room and later that night, uh, excuse me, the next day they wanted to go home it was less than 24 hours. It was about 20, 22 hours out. And the nurse practitioner from the peds part, or, or maybe it's labor delivery said, um, the baby's transcutaneous bilirubin was high and they're waiting for the blood bilirubin level. And I asked the parents, did the baby look yellow? And they go, no. So I, I found out that apparently when they do the newborn screen at Cedars, and this might be wrong, but this is what I, my understanding is that they run a bilirubin on every baby, mm. every baby. Mm -hmm. Cause they're already poking them so they can get blood. Yeah. Yeah. And then when the bilirubin came back at like, uh, the transcutaneous bilirubin was in the eights. And I, I don't know what that means because I don't know anything about transcutaneous bilirubins, but the serum bilirubin came back about nine something Which and they they told her that that she needed to stay and that they needed to put the baby in the in the nursery on billy lights and probably start formula and so you know uh, the father called me and we spoke and i said well tell them that we have donor milk if we need it we have billy lights at home if we need it and you need to get out of there as fast as possible because <laughs> <laughs> you need to have skin to skin you need to you know, have daylight, sunlight, not be in a hospital room or not have the baby use artificial light. And if you need the Billy lights, we'll use them. And so she, he told the uh, nurse practitioner that the nurse practitioner wanted to speak to me. And his impression in mine was too, from talking to her, that she didn't believe that we had Billy rights. She, she thought, right. right. So she wanted to hear me say it. Yeah. We had Billy lights. So I told her we had Billy lights. We'll take care of it. I'm sure she thought we were from outer space. Um, they don't well, we are unique for sure. And then, you know, and then, so they went home and uh, we didn't come by that. No. Oh, and she wanted to be sure we were going to come by that night, which would have been about 1130 to 12 o'clock. Actually, they didn't get home till one o'clock in the morning to, to start Billy lights when you have a Billy Rubin of nine. And I actually looked it up on a graph. And when you have an uncomplicated baby, um, without, you know, who's after 38 weeks, blah, blah, blah. Billy Rubin of nine is under in, in the normal range. Yes, it is. So, um, I, we went over in the morning and did a visit, Beth and I, and got the Billy lights. And the baby was just mildly yellow, not, I mean, not the sclera or anything, just the skin was mildly yellow. You could barely tell. You know, I used the palm of my hand or the palm of mom's hand and compare it to the baby's chest, sort of. And you could sort of just see the, the little tinge in, in, good, in good daylight. So they have a beautiful home with a lot of windows and stuff. So we were going to do that. And, um, uh, her milk hadn't come in yet, but we were going to keep an eye on the weight of the baby and that sort of thing. And the baby was making good peas and poops and all the things that we wanted to do. And so it was fine. So then I thought back in my mind, I'm thinking the difference between the two methods, 
And I thought, okay, so they do a bilirubin on every baby. Well, 40 years ago, the um, cost of a CBC was $87 they got paid for the hospital. I don't know what the hospital gets paid, but not doing a bilirubin doesn't generate revenue. And building a bilirubin generates revenue. Right. And if they find a bilirubin that's nine, even though that's normal and the parents have other options, they suggest formula, which they can charge for. They suggest nursery, which they can charge for. And they suggest bilirubin lights, which they can charge for. They don't make any money if they send the patient home to use sunlight and donor milk or whatever. And if necessary, and or Billy lights at home, they don't make any money. So I don't know that that this was the motivation of the nurse practitioner at all. I think she's just following policies and protocols. Yeah. But again, this 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 gets back to the idea. I talk about it with the food too. Back to the idea that worst case scenario is always first case scenario with these the industrialized medical system. Do as much as possible. He's nodding, by the way. People are listening. Bliss is nodding in case, <laughs> because they can't see you. But. Do as much as possible. Yeah, and you know what makes me think, Stu, if they're testing every baby, um, how many babies are getting considered diagnosed with jaundice? And then again, we have that cultural perspective that most babies get jaundice. It's very dangerous. You need to be in the NICU. You have to have all these interventions. You know what I mean? It just kind of passes down this fear of you need to be in the hospital because these things could happen. And, you know, right. Then you, back to my, what's the motivation to do that? Is it to save babies? I mean, that's the excuse, but what about using your eyeballs? And, you know, now they have these transcutaneous billy. I don't know. It's a, probably some sort of like a temporal artery thermometer. I think they probably aim it at the baby and it, it says something, but mm -hmm. fine. But what about using clinical judgment and individualization of care? Is that even possible? No, it's not in the system. Every baby gets a bilirubin. Really? Yeah. And if they drew one, and the baby did stay for another day, like a normal woman would stay two days, maybe. Mm -hmm. You think the baby would have had a second one? Yes. Yeah. You can't draw a yeah. line through a point. You, you need two, two points to draw a line. It's a basic yeah. geometry. So yeah. we don't know if it's rising, falling, or, or plateaued. So we have to draw another one. Right. Cha-ching, cha-ching. <laughs> okay. I, yes. Yeah, this is the, so the lesson for me with it was this was that, well, it's not the lesson for me. It's just another observation that I, I see things so differently now being outside of that world. And everywhere I look in our world, I see that intervention, yes. intervention, intervention. Yes. To prevent yeah. a one in a, you know, one in a very small denominator chance of something happening, we're going to do all these things, whether it's, you know, vitamin K or hepatitis vaccine or whatever it is. I mean, we're going to, or, or Tdap or flu during pregnancy or, you know, all these things we do and we don't tell people what the real risks are. And what are the downfalls of being separated from your baby? And, you know, all of those things that are not really acknowledged in the hospital that you and I know, and the midwifery model knows is so important for the development of your baby, you know, the ba this baby coming into the world and feeling safe and relaxed and trusting and cared for. And, you know, right. Because our portable Billy lights, courtesy, yeah, of I the, love that. courtesy of the Vanderbeeks, the baby <laughs> can be skin to skin yeah. on mom and the, and the lights just on the baby's back wrapped in, you know, kind of covered in a blanket so that it doesn't glow. <laughs> and, um, that it gets the best of both worlds. So yeah. even if they're going to put the baby on Billy lights in the hospital, why wouldn't they do it that way? Exactly. Exactly. Why does the baby go to the nursery? I don't know. I mean, yeah, I love it. Questioning, you know, the norm and, and trying to look at different ways. Um, I do want to go back and correct you because you did use my name to talk about the way that things would have been handled. 
in your scenario. Um, so I, you know, of course, uh, paramount is what the client wants to do. So if a client is exhausted and ready for an epidural, um, you know, I'm not going to try and convince them. Otherwise that would definitely be the direction that I would support them in. However, I probably wouldn't do a Foley either because of the risk of infection. Like you were saying with a prime up, you just don't know how long that's going to take. She's already been ruptured. You're introducing bacteria like that just doesn't seem like a good idea, but I would probably have, have recommended castor oil, uh, as you know, as a way of avoiding going to the hospital, because obviously the hospital is not going to be natural either. Right. So you've already, you're already down a path where you're going to have to intervene. So that would be something that I would probably recommend as an option. Um, But, you know, if they were like just, because she's not going to get an epidural. So she's going to have to deal with the contractions and how long it takes to get dilated without having that epidural. So I, and I totally understand. um, Yeah. I think think it has been, you know, one day Mm -hmm. or I think if her cervix had been, three to four and 80% maybe, but mm-hmm. you know, Beth doesn't have big hands and Beth couldn't even get two fingers, you know, could, couldn't get. Oh two. no, I get it. Right. I get it. Yeah. And if, and if that's the direction that we were going in, then maybe a day earlier, you know, starting to talk about tomorrow, we're going to be in this scenario. So maybe today we might want to do this, you know, like that, mm-hmm. that's just a possibility. Anyways, just wanted to say that. Yeah, and I and I mean I mean your style as a compliment. I I, <laughs> I know. I know you do. <laughs> I just don't want people to think that I sit back and I don't do anything until it's time to go to the hospital. So um, okay, I have I have one thing that I want to talk about before we get to the food stuff. Do you have anything else? No, I can read a review, but nope. All right, why don't you do a review because that's positive? Let's do that. <laughs> Something well, maybe positive. Not. <laughs> <laughs> no. It is. It is. Okay. Um, so this is an absolute must listen from AH in Florida. They say, I can't believe how fortunate I feel to have stumbled upon this podcast by a recommendation of someone I follow on Instagram. Every single episode is full of insight, wisdom, and helpful information that you unfortunately just don't find anywhere else. And she puts the un in parentheses common sense that Dr. Stu and Bliss share with their listeners episode after episode has not only helped me heal from my fir- from my first birth inside the medical model filled with interventions I didn't want, but helped me prepare for a more informed and empowered birth this time around. The podcast is an absolute must listen for any mom to be, whether it's your first baby or your fifth but especially for those wanting to see some glimpses of hope that not all providers are bad. And there is some, there is still some uncommon sense left out there. Thankful to both Dr. Stu and bliss for all they share. Wow. I love that in so many ways. I, I, first of all, not all provide, not all doctors, whoops, (laughs) not all (laughs) doctors. I said it myself, not all doctors are bad. That's true. And again, I mean, I gave a brief shout out to Dr. Crane. I, I can't thank him enough for all the years of, of yeah. fighting the system that he's done as well inside the system, getting, you know, I mean, I, I should count the black and blue marks on Dr. Crane <laughs> and the yeah. scar, and the, uh, the, the scars on his back from all the lashes he's taken, but um, he's still out there and he's still doing his thing. And that's great. So, yeah. um, and I love the term uncommon sense. That's great. I mean, I might yeah. have to do the title of today's podcast. We'll see how the rest of the podcast go. <laughs> okay, we'll see. Thank you for that review. And again, we love you guys when you give us reviews because that somehow makes it easier for people to find us. I know exactly yeah. how that works, but. Yeah, it helps other people to find us. So, and that is what we're all about is making sure that this information gets out to as many people as possible. Okay, so real quickly, this hopefully will be a moot point by the time this podcast comes out, but. I was reading an article on um, on the internet the other day, and I was looking at the comments. You know, I, I find the com- it wasn't one of my articles or anything. It was just an article on a feed that I get, and it was a it was in the comment section. And I think it's always great sometimes to read at least a few of the comments because you get a sense of where people are when you read the comments. Says so quick story for you: a child at my son's school in SoCal passed out playing on the playground yesterday. There's an outdoor mask mandate at the schools. It was 90 effing degrees yesterday. 
Then the superintendent and principal sent an email saying they have no evidence to suggest a correlation between the incident and running around with a mask in 90 degree weather. WTF, triple <laughs> exclamation point. The backlash must have been significant since two hours later, they scheduled a meeting open to all parents to discuss it the next day. It wasn't pretty and it wasn't civil. People are pissed. Good. And now there's a special school board meeting to discuss COVID policy and anticipated litigation. <laughs> it's on the agenda. God willing, mass mandates might be done in a week at this rate. And so it says once they're done here, they'll be done everywhere else in the United States. So I thought they were done today, by the way. Not in the schools, not in Los Angeles County. Uh-huh. Right. Because we have Barbara Ferrer, who knows more than everybody else. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right? She's our health, she's our health person. I don't even know if she's elected. I should look that up. Let's not talk about politics. Moving on. Well, no, I well, I have one more thing related to masks. Because this is a right. guy that I that I've heard speak before, Mark McDonald. He's a clinical psychiatrist and medical legal expert. And he's part of the uh, America's Frontline Doctor Group. Mm -hmm. And he sent a letter out to his patients. So he's got a big practice. He's well-known. He's a psychiatrist, mainly child psychiatrist. And he says, dear patient, effective immediately, all forms of child abuse will no longer be tolerated in my office. Wow. This includes masking of children. Just as I would never tolerate a parent beating their child or burning him with a cigarette lighter in my presence, I will not condone or allow minors to enter my office with their faces covered. My first ethical responsibility as a physician is to do no harm to my patients and allowing children to mask their faces has caused and continuous, continues to cause tremendous harm to them physically, emotionally, psychologically, and developmentally. Any argument to the contrary is naive and irrational. Over the past year, referrals to speech and language therapists have increased between 25 and 300%, depending on locale. Younger children have suffered a 24% cognitive decline, along with a 22-point IQ loss among infants due to a combination of prolonged isolation, antisocial distancing, that's what I used to call it, by the way, Yeah. Uh, and universal masking of faces. This catastrophe is man-made due entirely to the feeling of adults. Unfortunately, in my adult patient population, many have developed a fear addiction. I strongly encourage them to remove face masks whenever possible, including when visiting my office, as a necessary first step in overcoming this fear addiction. I'm available and happy to provide support to any patient ready to move forward toward health and freedom from fear. Let's agree to make 2022 the year for an individual and national recovery. Mark McDonald. I love it. I love it. Love it. Good for ah. him for just speaking so eloquently and powerfully about, you know, like, let's just call it what it is. It's awesome. I'm glad you read that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I, I, I won't say any more about it. It speaks for itself. It does. Great. Right. It's time, you know, it, what we've done can't, you know, it really can't be undone, but we can certainly have some remorse and, and make sure that these sort of things never happen again. So you know what time it is, Bliss? It's time to talk about boobies. Yeah, it's time to talk about one of our good sponsors, Bamboobies, who we love dearly. One, we love them because they sponsor us, <laughs> but two, yes. because they have great organic products. Right. And we're not going to have any sponsors that we can't stand behind what they do. So we love them for that. Yeah. I wish we had like a beer sponsor. I don't drink beer, but you do. <laughs> no, I know. No, because I, I mean, Bamboobies is great stuff, but it's not products for Dr. Stu, put it that way. It's products yeah. for products for our listeners, but that's... Products for the bump, breastfeeding and beyond, they like to say. So yeah, it's, you know, they, they, they focus really on comfort for moms, and both physically and emotionally. And they have great products. I mean, we've, we've talked in the past about their nursing pads and nursing bra, and you can mention a little bit about that in a second, but... We also talk about um, some of their organic products, including their organic nipple balm, which is 100% organic. It's non-toxic. You don't have to wipe it off before you have breastfeed the baby. Um, it makes breastfeeding more comfortable for the mom. And it's got natural ingredients, including extra virgin olive oil, beeswax, shea butter. You know, I love stuff with shea butter in it too. It's actually really good for you. Yeah. Even if you die, I do. 
<laughs> and uh, there's no lanolin or, and it's made in the USA. So tell us a little bit about the, the nursing stuff. Well, they have um, the nursing pads that I've talked to you about that I really love. They're the number one sustainable nursing pad in a wonderful heart shape made with bamboo renewable um, as a renewable source. And the reason they do that heart shape is so that you, it's not so visible. Those of you who have worn um, breast pads, nursing pads, you know that <laughs> you can see them through your clothes and it's, it's not cute. So that's the reason for the heart-shaped design and it works so well. And then they've got a really great, um, also made with bamboo, um, stylish racerback nursing bra that can be used in your wardrobe that has a little clasp and you can um, breastfeed wherever you're at. So check them out. They're great. They're great for the environment. They're great for mamas. And um, tell them about the discount codes, Stu. Yeah, they go, if you go to bamboobies.com and you put in the code INSTINCTS, that's I-N-S-T-I-N-C-T-S, you get 25% uh, off your purchase. And so we would hope that you'll support them. Um, we are going to encourage them to come out with a organic beer. And uh, then I'll be really encouraging you to uh, support them. No, <laughs> support them because they support us and they make the, the um, possibility of our podcast um, go. And making great products. So thanks, Bamboobies. Thanks, Bamboobies. So today's topic list is... <laughs> we, we didn't actually talk about the languaging, but what we're talking about, we got, I got a question from a, um, a listener on Instagram and she was saying that there was a big discussion about the recommendations in the book that I would never recommend to somebody, which is what you expect when expecting. It's totally fear-based and it's not a book on my list. Um, but so they were discussing these foods and she wanted us to talk about um, what what is the deal with the foods that are recommended that you should avoid and um, how do we feel about it and how do we counsel our clients? I, I think it's a great topic because it is. There, there, this is one of those things that there's rumors out there on everything, you know, and then if you just do a search, I don't use the term Google anymore. Google gets up. It's a bell too, because that's a bad word. But any search you put in, you know, uh, sushi in pregnancy or deli meats in pregnancy or what should I eat in pregnancy? And they, all this stuff comes up and people, and, you, and there's no way to look at that data and know what it really means. So I think a lot of people tune into our podcast to hear sort of our take on that sort of thing. And yeah, um, the what to expect while you're expecting is one of those things that I've always warned people about because it's a fear-based book. Yeah. And on this topic alone, in the article that you sent me, they cause, um, because in certain foods, illnesses, illness causing bacteria that could be lurking in certain foods. Mm -hmm. I just love the term lurking. <laughs> you know, the, it, those bacteria, they're, they're just lurking out there waiting to, waiting to attack you. I mean, even that word is just a word that you and I, you and I would probably not be using in our counseling. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> There's bacteria lurking for you. And then they also say, they also say, by the way, if you accidentally eat anything by mistake, well, I guess that's kind of, that's a tautology, isn't it? If it's an accident, it's definitely a mistake, I think. Right. Anyway, right. Um, you should check with your doctor, <laughs> okay. which is the answer every, every chapter in that book. Yeah, that's what it is says. It, it's True. probably this, but it might be this. So call your doctor. And that'll be, you know, uh, $22.95 for our book, but call your doctor. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Are you taking, oh, you're taking your clothes off. Jeez, Stu. Did it get uh, hot? Yeah, it's getting hot in the car. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. It's getting hot in here. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not taking off all my clothes, you guys. So, so when I when I did research, and we can like, you can we can talk about it different. There's there's lots of different foods. I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different things. There's probably more. We can talk about each one. But whenever you look at them, they always say foods may contain this or may contain that, and that's one of those words we talk about in the podcast that 
What does it mean? It, well, it means it may not contain it. So how do you decide when something may contain and when something may, may not contain? And do you need to avoid all these specific foods in pregnancy? Right. And, and then the big question comes up for me as we talk about each one of these things and some of the thing, diseases that they can carry is if it's not okay to eat that in pregnancy, why is it okay for me to eat it? It's a great question. Yeah. If, yeah. if, if there's a certain worm in something or whatever, on rare, rare cases, we don't want you to have that while you're pregnant. Well, do you want me to have it when I'm not pregnant? <laughs> Either the food is good or it's not good, right? Right. Okay. Causes, so more, causes more risks. Um, I think what they're, what they're saying is it caused more risk to the development of the baby or potential loss of the pregnancy if you get sick, correct? Yeah, no, that is what they're saying. Yes. Okay? That some of these things yes. I felt supposed can cross the placenta or the mother could get really sick. I understand that, but they never tell you not to eat. Right, because our bodies are not as vulnerable when we're not pregnant. I think that's the assumption. Okay. I'm just saying, I'm just talking about I mean, the I don't want to like, get listeria when I'm not pregnant, okay? I don't want to get some <laughs> right. worm that crawls into my brain when I'm not pregnant. Yes, I get it. Okay. okay, where do we want to start? What's your list say? I would oh, say sushi. The first food I that came out for me was sushi. Yeah, I think that's the first one that comes to most people's mind is sushi. Okay. So let's talk about the common sense. Common What's sense common? to me, common sense to me would be that that any restaurant that that you know is a quality restaurant or in in California has an A on the window, all right, is not going to be serving food that's contaminated so it's a you know if 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 it's a it's a risk benefit ratio a lot of people aren't going to don't eat sushi anyway but the idea that you can't eat lox on bagels or that you can't eat um go to a sushi restaurant and eat uh and have your favorite uh, tuna or your favorite halibut or your favorite yellowtail or whatever that, that's silly to me Mm -hmm. Okay, it's a risk benefit thing. Some people might find that the risk, the very small risk, and, I, and there's no way to get a number on that um, as far as what the risk is. But a, but a quality restaurant is not going to be serving food that's got salmonella or listeria or this silly worm called anisakiasis, which is a you know I think that's the parasite that people talk about with sushi. Um, you're not going to see that, and that's going this is going to carry through for most of the foods we talk about. Well, I would also say, you know, I'm known to look at like a more global perspective rather than just what's happening here in America. So if it's true that raw fish is dangerous for pregnant women, then it would make sense that that would be the same in places like Japan, where they eat raw fish as a very common part of their diet. And that's not true. Pregnant women in Japan all the time eat raw fish and are not having more miscarriages they're not having more problems they're not getting sicker so i think that that is also another thing is just to kind of look outside of our cultural box to see that if it's okay for women in japan then it's okay for us but i agree with you you want to go to a high quality place maybe skip things like don't get you know sushi that's at a, at a grocery store that's been sitting out, make sure that it's something that's being prepared for you fresh and it's fresh fish that's been caught daily and those kinds of things. That's a way for you to make sure that you're getting something that, that won't have bacteria that hasn't been sitting out for a long period of time. So Yeah, and along, along with that is that there's a lot of good things in fish um, to eat. Now, one of the things you might want to do while you're pregnant, because this makes sense to me, because yep. it's not something you control is avoid eating too much of the top of the food chain fish. The big ones mercury, like shark. Because of mm -hmm. mercury, not because mm -hmm. mercury, uh, shark, swordfish, mm -hmm. um, some of those things that, you know, they're good, but it doesn't mean you can't have swordfish. It just means don't have swordfish every week. Mm -hmm. right? um, I right. don't think that you're going to get toxic mercury levels. I don't think that you're going to get listeria or salmonella or anything. If you eat, and like we said, at a quality at a quality restaurant, don't buy it from a, a like a, something that's been sitting out in the sun at a fish market for a while, or from a vendor with a cart. You don't know if that's fresh or not. But if you go to your classic, you know, Nobu or some other fancy sushi restaurant and want to eat sushi, I'm pretty sure you're going to be fine. 
Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yay for sushi. You know how many pregnant women are celebrating right now? They can go have sushi. Woohoo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and you can pick wisely too. You could also have, if you like sushi, but you, you're a little bit worried about the raw, have it, have it cooked. You know, have a, have it your, you know, your baked scallops or, or something like on your, yeah. on your, on your sushi instead. If you're a little bit worried because cooking takes care of most of these problems. Yeah. Or a vegetarian, right? They could have a, a vegetarian roll or something That's like that. That's not sushi. Look at Stu. When you said cooked, I made the face. But you know, if you're talking about compromises, then yes. Yes. But you know, if you like going to sushi restaurants, you like the style of eating, you like the getting little mm -hmm. pieces of food at a time. And, and, you know, and by the way, while you're there, you can have a little bit of sake. It's okay. We can talk a little bit about alcohol. Why not? Okay. Let's talk about alcohol. Okay. Well, everybody tells you that you should avoid alcohol in pregnancy. But yes. that's not true. Um, you should avoid excessive alcohol in pregnancy. The penetrance of alcohol causing things like fetal alcohol syndrome is unpredictable, but it's quite small. Um, I remember when I was a resident reading a study or being told about a study, I can't remember anymore <laughs> back that far, that they looked at women who drank at least a fifth of whiskey or a fifth of, of alcohol a day. And the yes. number of children that had fetal alcohol syndrome in them was only like 17% or something like it was some small number, yes. which is a large number. But you'd think if you drank a fifth of whiskey every day, all every baby would have fetal alcohol syndrome. Now, it's obviously not good for them. We're not suggesting that people drink alcohol, but we often suggest people have a glass of wine. We know, as you said, with the, with the Japanese, we know that cultures in other countries like Europe and some other countries, they drink probably every night. In some of the like Italy, maybe Italy and some in France mm -hmm. and stuff. There's commonly they have red wine with their dinner. Right. Right. So I think that the recommendations, um, like when you said about that study, that's what we discussed in in midwifery school as well. So we're talking about people who are abusing alcohol or who are alcoholics or having alcohol, a lot of alcohol. A fifth of whiskey every night is a lot of alcohol. So um but we don't trust human beings here in America to make good judgment. So we just say, don't do it at all. Um, so having a little glass of wine or a champagne to like toast at a wedding, those kinds of things, um, it's really okay for you to have a little bit of alcohol and not feel concerned. I do yeah, want to tell you, you. You might have to worry about the lady at the next table looking at your belly and, then right. judging, and judging you. Yes. <laughs> but remember, she doesn't know anything. Right. Most people who speak out about these things don't know anything. Right. Exactly. But I do want to tell you that um, I was almost born five months early in 1971. And the recommendation from the doctor was that my mom was supposed to be on bed rest with a bottle of wine a day mm -hmm. for the last several months of her pregnancy. And she did. <laughs> Her entire summer, she drank a bottle of wine a day and I stayed in and then I was late. But that's kind of the joke in uh, in my family is, oh, that's what's wrong with Bliss. Yes, I was just going to say, that's what's wrong with Bliss. Yeah, well, but if, I you mean, don't I mind, if you don't mind your kids turning out like me, go for it. No, I'm just kidding. Moderation is, is the Yeah, key. I mean, we've talked about this in the podcast before. Before we had medicines to, to arrest preterm labor, they used to do intravenous infusions of alcohol. Amazing. What alcohol do you know? 40s and 50s, I believe it was. So, or maybe even do before you, that. Do you know what alcohol they use still? Uh, um, no, I don't. So I'm sorry, oh. alcohol. I, I'm not sure. I, I honestly don't know. So interesting. Okay, keep going. No, it wasn't. It didn't come. You know, it didn't come from a bottle. It wasn't like rum or, or, or uh, they just poured it vodka in. or anything like that. It was you know pure purified alcohol that you could put into the blood. And I don't know what concentration it was, but I know that that was something that they used to use. Very interesting. Right. Okay. Um, how about cheese? Ooh, I love cheese. I how know. about you? <laughs> cheese gets a bad rap. It does. Because every now and then the, the media looking for something hysterical to report will go up, will report that there's a listeria outbreak in San Diego County or something like that. And then you go actually dig deep in it. <laughs> Yeah. And um, in 2021, there was a listeria outbreak, um, and the CDC reported that 13 people in four states 
got listeria. <laughs> All right. These were East Coast states, New York, Maryland. Uh, I don't remember the other ones. And there were 13 people and probably out of a population of what? 20 some, 30, how many people in New York alone? Right. Uh, right. So I don't know how many people ate the cheese, but I'm saying that we don't have to be hysterical. And these are specific sorts of cheeses. These are not your pasteurized cheeses. These are some of your raw cheeses. Soft. Um, yeah. And listeria is not a good thing to get while you're pregnant. It's a bad thing to get while you're pregnant. So you don't want to get it. But on, on the other hand, it's not very common. And if you're concerned about it, so then eat your regular cheeses and your pasteurized cheeses, like almost every cheese that we eat that comes in a, you know, comes in a wrap, a plastic wrapper with a, a label on it. It's going to be pasteurized cheese. Yeah. So you're not going to have to worry about it. Yeah. And the thing is that, that there was a listeria outbreak in lettuce. So oh, there's a listeria outbreak in a lot of these foods, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's not just cheeses either. So it like you get to the point where you're avoiding like the majority of foods if you think that you could get listeria from it. So, you know, it's like anything else that we talk about. There's very low risk for these kinds of things. Um, so you have to use your own common sense and eat fresh and make sure that it's clean. And, you know, that again is is common sense. Smell your food. That's the other thing. Like with the sushi, smell it. If your body responds in a positive way, it smells good to you. It's not bad, right? Yeah, and we joke sometimes about the expiration date on some of the antibiotics and things that we carry in our bag, or, or even you even the, the tubes that we collect blood in have an expiration date on them, as if there's yeah. something going to happen to the tube. Um, yeah. But for food, pay attention to your expiration dates. I think it makes yeah. sense to do that. Plus, you don't like it when your meat meat starts to turn green. It's not good. Not good. <laughs> If, if you needed us to tell you that. Same thing with eggs it. and stuff like that. If your eggs are more than a day or two past their expiration, used by date or whatever it's called, you probably should throw them out. And if you're going to, if this happens all the time, then just hard boil them and put them in a bowl in the fridge and eat them as a snack for before bedtime. Uh, if you start finding you're wasting a lot of eggs and stuff like that. And, you know, I mean, when you, when you have a small family or you live alone, sometimes you buy lettuce and you use some of it and then the rest of it, you know, I end up throwing out a lot of my vegetables that I buy because you have to buy it like a whole thing of celery or a whole thing of lettuce, or you could buy a little bag of it. But I, I really like, you know, I sort of like chopping it up and I like peeling it off and it crunch when it crunches. I like that. But then the next day or two, it, you know, it's not good anymore. Yeah. Okay. So that's cheese. I think we covered cheese. Uh, what about uh, pork? What about pork? Well, pork, uh, if you, you know, raw pork can rarely carry this thing called trichinosis in it. It's also, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a worm larvae. It's just not a good thing. Lurking. But the way you buy pork at a restaurant or a store here, you're not going to have to worry about it. And by the way, the, that trichinosis can all, also be found in bear and walrus. So for our clients that are eating bear or walrus, um, make sure you cook it probably thoroughly before you, before you eat it. No raw yeah. bear, no raw walrus. No medium rare. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Yeah, pink, pinkness, probably not. But anyway, with pork, most people eat pork and it's sort of, well, people don't eat pork raw. No. No. They no. Cook, <laughs> they, they cook pork pretty well. I mean, whether it's bacon or whether it's, uh, you know, ham or whatever, you generally yeah. cook it. So yeah. not usually a problem. People don't really need to be worried about it. Um, and then you mentioned uh, to me the other day, deli meat. Deli meat's the one that I hear from people. Sushi and deli meat are the ones that I hear people ask about most often. And, and I would just say, we've already kind of said the common sense. Smell it, go for, to a reputable source, you know, make sure that it's fresh. Um, and you can absolutely have some deli meat. I, you know, I wouldn't go to like a Subway and get a sandwich there. Like that probably wouldn't be what I would do if I was trying to be cautious. Would go to someplace where they're slicing it right off it's fresh, it's healthy, it's Jersey at a Mike's. reputable place. Jersey mm -hmm. Mike's. I probably wouldn't go to Jersey Mike's either, but if you say Jersey Mike's- Well, they slice, then... it, they slice it fresh right in front of you. I mean, it's often yeah. a big, big roll. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah. No, but also you go, yeah. you, go to your, you go to your grocery store and you can have them slice it right there for you. Again, yeah. there's always a chance, whatever you do, getting in your car to drive to the grocery store carries with it some risk. So you can't- Exactly. Right. Um, yeah. As far as jelly meat goes, the thing that's risky is that it's also listeria. And um, CNN, uh, I, I saw a CNN article from 2020 that said there was a 
listeria outbreak in deli meat. And then I look, you look at the article and it was 10 people in three states. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so again, please, 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 please do not do your research by press release. Do not read a headline and become nervous. Use the, use the uh, birthing instincts method of analyzing data. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and try to look at the uh, motivation for people that are reporting it. Do, do they really have your best sisters at heart or are they trying to get you to click on their website? That's it. We have to take a break here to talk about element that is spelled L M N T, but it's pronounced element. And as you all know, because you've been listening to the podcast religiously, everybody element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't it means a lot of salt, no sugar, Element is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs. Um, that comes in multiple flavors. Bliss likes the mango chili. Yum. <laughs> we always talk about that. Yum. Right, Bliss? And then, uh, according, yeah. according to the FDA, about 70% of sodium in the United States is consumed from packaged and processed foods. So when you adopt a whole foods diet, you are eliminating processed foods and sodium from your diet. We encourage all our listeners to try to eat healthy. Don't follow my, don't follow my example. (laughs) Um, uh, We don't recommend you reintroduce processed foods for your salt intake. And that's why element is a really good option for you because it's got all the good stuff and none of the junk and no sugar. Right. 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 Absolutely. So uh, if you go to drinklmnt.com slash birthing code word, birthing instincts, you'll be able to get a free sample pack with only the cost of shipping. That's drink. LMNT backslash birthing instincts. Awesome. How about caffeine? What about caffeine? I don't know. I don't really have too much problem with caffeine. Again, anything done in in uh, excess is probably not a good idea. Yes. But there's probably not um, a big problem with caffeine. Well, I absolutely um, try and educate people about caffeine. And we do recommend limiting it to less than 220, I'm sorry, excuse me, 200 milligrams a day. Um, Here's some of the concerns about coffee in pregnancy. Um, Drinking more than three cups of coffee in the first trimester has been associated with higher incidence of miscarriage and low birth weight. Um, Caffeine increases the baby's heart rate. Um, caffeine can lead to being in the baby's bloodstream longer and have higher levels um, as an adult. Um, Caffeine has a similar metabolic effects to the stress hormones in adrenaline, which your babies are going to be feeling. So, and it also interferes with iron and calcium absorption. There's a bunch of other things that it does, like it lowers a woman's appetite if she drinks a lot of caffeine. And caffeine actually is, you know, I know you're smirking at me. Caffeine actually is actually very similar to kind of a a drug. It's a crutch. And so a lot of women who feel like they can't really give themselves self-care are drinking a ton of caffeine in order to continue to motivate themselves. So I I go a little bit deeper with caffeine than I do about some of these other things, because I do think that if we're just taking, like you were saying, like, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want someone to have too much caffeine if they weren't pregnant. So it's one of those opportunities that I have to get a little bit deeper with somebody about like, what, what's the caffeine consumption coming from and give them some tools and tips to lower it. So one of the things that's better, if you're somebody who really loves caffeine, which I like caffeine, I drink coffee, you guys know this, but I have, I have limited it, um, is to brew it at home because when you do it at home, you can get um, less caffeine than if you get it like at Starbucks or something. And, um, and then the other thing is, you know, you can do something like half calf and just have a little bit of caffeine or do a decaf where you're still getting the flavor and you're still getting a little bit of caffeine, but you're not getting all of that caffeine. And then trying to switch to some good teas. And I had talked about some um, teas that are made with dandelion that are actually so much better for you that are rich and deep, like like coffee is. So it gives you that feeling of having a rich cup of coffee without having to have something that's really not that great for you. So, um, 
I will, I'll list in our, um, cause I don't want to get too deep into it, but I'll list my document about caffeine in our show notes. So people can look a little bit deeper into some of the information that I give my clients about caffeine. That's brilliant. I mean, I was exactly thinking of teas as a substitute and there's so many good teas that don't contain caffeine in them that yeah. if you need that hot drink and that thing to, to sip on in your car or the mortar or whatever to get going, um, yeah. you could go, go with a tea instead. You mentioned 200 milligrams of caffeine per day. Can you, for people like me who don't drink coffee, what, how many, what is that? How many milligrams of caffeine are in a typical cup of coffee? Do you have any idea? Um, a home-brewed regular cup of coffee is around 96. Um, milligrams, a, milligrams, 96 milligrams. 96 milligrams, yep. A, um, a shot of espresso is around 60, but I looked up what um, a Starbucks coffee is, and it depends on the roast. So a medium roast for a short, which is a, sh a small Starbucks coffee is 170 milligrams. A tall is 280. So if you're imagining, um, if you're imagining a venti with, with three shots of espresso, <laughs> that's gonna be a lot. Or if you get a drip coffee of their Pike's Roast, which is their dark blend um, for the medium size, it's 310. So just be aware. That's why I'm saying like, if you brew it at home, you know, you can, you can modify that, not modify, but you have a lower dosage of how much caffeine is in it. And obviously if you like dark roast coffee, maybe something just switching to a light roast is going to give you less milligrams as well. Yeah. That's really important stuff. Where did you find the, um, the 200 milligrams a day thing? Where, where did you get that? Do you remember where you got that? There's, there's uh, references on that article that I said that I would post. So I, I have, I have okay. a little handout that I give my clients with recommendations. So I will put that in our show notes. Okay. So what you're saying basically is a probably a typical cup of coffee you make at home. You could probably have two of them. Um, yeah. But Starbucks, you know, if you're getting a medium roast, you really can't really have more than one. Yeah. Yeah. Or half of so one. So have, <laughs> have one cup. Go to a lighter roast or um or do half decaf. Oh, you go. This is just okay. small tweaks. Yeah. There you go. Decaf, by the way, decaf for everybody listening has caffeine in it. It does have a little caffeine, yeah. That's right. It's just it's just less. It's like low fat milk isn't no fat milk. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Don't you don't you don't do uh non-fat milk either. Drink drink whole milk. If you're gonna drink milk, just do it. Yeah, or two percent. I mean, you can look at it. I I it's funny, you know, I went off whole milk years ago to, to drink. Um, I never drank skim because I thought it was like white water. Mm -hmm. but, so I drink like 1%, 2%. I drink the lactate milk. But mm -hmm. um, if somebody ever serves me whole milk now, it, it's it's almost too thick. It's always tastes funny. Yeah, because you're not used to it. I'm this not point. used to it anymore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. Right. Okay. Is that is that our whole list? No, I got a few more. Okay, good. Um, raw eggs. Uh, occasionally contains salmonella, very rare. Um, again, buying quality eggs, grade double A, whatever eggs and not going past the expiration date. If you're mixing an egg into a blender or something like that, raw, um, just make sure you're using fresh eggs. Uh, uh, otherwise, if you cook your eggs, you don't have to worry about it. So right. And if fine. you're baking or whatever, it, it's getting cooked. Yeah. yeah. Baking or, you know, just cooking, frying your eggs or whatever else. But, you know, some people put raw eggs into stuff. So, yeah, eggs uh, are actually eggs are actually really good, especially in the first trimester for choline for the baby's brain. So, um, cooked eggs are great. Yeah, eggs are a really good food to have, and again, I always think they're a great snack food to have in your fridge. The hard-boiled eggs. Mm -hmm. um, we talk about mm -hmm. people who don't sleep well because they get hypoglycemic at night, and we tell them to have a protein snack at bedtime, and that could be a spoonful of almond butter, but peanut butter, or whatever. But a hard-boiled egg is a great source of protein. So yeah, that's great. Undercooked meats, we sort of discussed when we discussed deli meat, it's a little bit, or we discussed pork, um, you know, eating tartare. Again, where you eat it makes a big difference. Um, I don't think you really have to fear anything with any of these foods in, in, in most affluent areas of America. There might be other third world people, third world countries where it's not so reliable. Um, and then you might want to avoid these things. We're not saying that that these are safe 100% because nothing is. But we're saying the idea, I think the anxiety about worrying stuff is often just 
so much worse than the possibility of what that thing could ever do to you. Agreed. Right. Yes. And again, yeah. we wouldn't have restaurants and grocery stores and stuff in business if they were selling food that was consistently causing people to get sick. And it brings me back to my original question. If it's not okay for a pregnant woman to eat it, and I know Bliss answered it, but it's still, it's not okay for a non-pregnant woman or, or a man or a child to eat it either. It's either good food or healthy food or it's not. Well, Cheetos probably doesn't have listeria in it, but it's probably not a good idea to be eating Cheetos <laughs> either. <laughs> there's a lot of shitty food out there. So, but yes, I understand your point. All right. And there's one other, one other uh, thing we forgot to discuss, and that's mad cow disease. Yes. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of joking. Uh, the, the term mad cow disease, you know, in the 90s was a big deal. Um, yes. There were 17 cases in England in humans. And it's, it's real name is bovine spongiform encephalopathy, which sounds horrible. But there's been zero cases in the United States. And since 2000 and let's see, hang on a second. Since 2003, there's been six cases in the United States, all in cows. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think you have to worry about eating hamburger. All right. Even though yes. Oprah, Oprah Winfrey went, went crazy on it back in 1996. Uh, she got sued by the uh, Beef Association or whatever. She actually won her lawsuit, but but because um, she badmouthed it and it, she, she badmouthed it and the sale of beef went down drastically because Oprah did an episode or something on mad cow disease, which there were zero cases in the United States. And to this date, <laughs> there are still zero cases that I know of in the United States. So wow. again, it becomes a topic of discussion. It's one of those hysterical things that that makes people want to click on a new site, but these are not things that we worry about in the pregnancy world and um, in our world. Again, in the medical model, they may, they may give you a whole list of things. Don't eat this, don't have sushi, don't eat cheese, don't eat uh, undercooked meat, don't. And they're gonna tell you all the don'ts. And then it starts to, you start to like wonder what's going in my mouth and it gets, it gets very stressful. Yeah. And you don't get to just have a beautiful pregnancy where you're enjoying yourself and enjoying your life and feeding your baby, which is important. Hey, so um, before we wrap up, I, uh, as I was researching, I found this article that talked about um, foods to avoid and all of that, but it was great because it goes into some of the um, assumptions around food in other cultures. And I thought it would be fun to read a few of these. That'd okay. be great. That, that, that'd okay. be great. Yeah. Okay. So um, it says uh, in rural Nigeria, it's thought that eating snails can make your baby sluggish. Women in Japan. <laughs> is, that a, is that a pun or what? That... <laughs> That's what they tell them. Women in Japan are told that spicy food can give their baby a short temper. In the U.S., birthmarks might be attributed to a mother's craving of strawberries or chili peppers. In Mexico, there's an old belief that eating eggs can make a baby smell bad. In the Philippines, on the other hand, women are told to eat raw egg just before delivery to help lubricate the birth canal. Um, Chinese folk culture is full of advice about foods that pregnant women should eat. Eating crab might make your baby mischievous or give it 11 fingers. Drinking milk can lighten its skin. Squid can make the womb sticky. Isn't that interesting? There's like all of these common beliefs. Um, in many places, as in China, folk custom is slowly yielding to science, but even in the best educated society, evidence-free ideas continue to circulate as anyone who spent time um, on a mom's farm will confirm, which is where this, this came from originally is um, all of the things that we tell people in America to eat and not eat. Um, I love what you just said. So it's all of it's yielding to science. All right. And it's yeah. like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know what? There's a lot more wisdom sometimes in, 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 in uncommon sense. I like that term uh -huh. um, in these ancient practices um, than the modern scientist. It, 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 it gives me a, there's a piece of wisdom that I want that ties in really well here that I wanted to sort of close with today too. It's just a sentence. It says, I wrote this down. I, I thought about it. It says, academics should provide data and input, but should not, and I would say never, be in position of implementing policy that affects all practitioners. 
In other words, scientists should give information, but they, you should never put them in charge of anything. <laughs> Nothing? <laughs> no, they're narrow-minded. They, they see with blinders on, they see their own little thing and they, and they have one little endpoint. It's like, it's like academic OBs see the baby in the bassinet as the only endpoint and nothing else matters. Right. So if you make a woman crazy about what she's putting in her mouth, that doesn't matter because we don't want one baby, you know, to slide out because we, a Filipino woman ate too many eggs. <laughs> Raw eggs, excuse me, I think, or eggs itself. You know, or we don't want a baby in Mexico to smell bad because it ate too many eggs. Mm -hmm. I wonder if a Mexican has a baby in the Philippines, what happened? <laughs> I just think it's, I just think it's interesting what we, what we pass down and what we tell each other. That's all. It's very Yeah, I know. I mean, you know, the old, the, the, the wives, I think it's a, it's a, it's a Latina um, wives tale. If you, if you don't reach to put something, take something off the top shelf while you're pregnant, you'll strangle your baby. You've heard that one, you've, right? had, you've had people ask you about that, I'm sure, right? Yeah. Uh, not recently, but yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So everybody brings up, everybody has something that their mother or their grandmother or something they told them. And if we should have kept, you know, I should have kept track of all these things over the years. Yeah. I thought about yeah. it, we could come up with some other crazy ones too, but that one was one of my favorites. If you just re reach up, put your arms, get something off the top shelf, you're going to strangle your baby. So don't do that. Right. Um, these are great lists, and I hope that uh, our listeners are, are whooping it up and are going out to have some sushi and a glass of uh, sake uh, on us. Okay, <laughs> on us. <laughs> on us. Uh, anything else? Yes, they should take a picture. This we'll do this. Take a picture and tag us and post it. Yeah, that's what yeah. they should do. They should that go and great. have some sushi or have a little sake and tag us. Yeah. And put and put common sense. Uncommon sense. <laughs> well, yes, uncommon sense, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. I, I know it's hot in your car. Probably <laughs> <laughs> I saw you get out for a second. <laughs> it must be cooking. You yeah. So anyway, that, that's enough for today. We did a good, we did a it was we did a good service today. I think next week we talked a little bit possibly about doing was it H. HPV vaccine. HPV. Yeah. And I have an, I have another article about induction of labor uh, for no medical reason that we might get into that as well. It's sort of a counterpoint to the ARRIVE trial that came out. Okay. Well, maybe after. we'll do, maybe we'll do either the HPV or we'll do induction because that's a really good topic that we haven't talked about either. Induction. Yeah. And I've got a couple others uh, that people are sending me and I really love to get to them guys, but since listen, I only do this once a week, and we an hour goes by so fast. Um, we'll, we, you know, some of these things we we can't get to, but we'll we'll do our best. Okay, we always do our best. Okay, well, have a good day, and uh, we'll talk to you. See you guys next week. All right, avoid the mosquitoes, and um, <laughs> I I love seeing you. It's great to see you. All right, bye bye. You too. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 